Students have missed many weeks of school over the past few years. Some have suggested that reintroducing grade 13 may be a way to ensure students develop the skills they need in time for life after high school. But this conversation touches on a much broader issue. Grade 13 has typically been used to prepare students for post-secondary studies in university or college. With a deficit of people working in the trades, how do we promote and encourage students to see the opportunities here? Is there a responsible way to do this that ensures streaming and other biased assessments don't discriminately funnel students in one direction or the other? Join my guests and I as we talk about grade 13 and careers in the trades. Peter Lopez joins us on this episode of School Talk. What do you think the impact of classes or lack of in, in school classes may be having on students? And I'm asking from the perspective as a parent and a parent of a black uh, of black students, how do you think this has impacted other students uh, today? Well, uh, let's start with a few rudimentary facts. Um, schooling outside of a classroom in 2020 means you have to have access to the internet. It means you have to have a computer or a tablet. You can do a lot of stuff on the phone as well, but it means you've got to be technologically able to do it. Um, the better systems, and I'm not going to call any names, tend to be a little bit more expensive by way of data and data management. Um, so the first serious disparity that I know is hitting students right now is what is your home situation? Do you have internet? Do you have a phone? Do you have, I mean, are you on a laptop? Um, is your laptop Wi-Fi connectable and it not so on and so forth? So one of the first things I think one has to do um, is get the information as to what percentage of the children, students, have what access to what. That's number one. Number two, you know, I am not a big proponent of distant learning because the contact that a teacher has with a student in a classroom is critical, in my opinion, in shaping the child, in shaping the type of education they're getting, and to be able to be immediately interactive um, with them. Now, I know, you know, all of this assumes many other things, but I just can see a lot of difficulties for the poorest of the kids in North America. Mm. I just can see a big hole for them. Yeah, definitely. And I think I would agree with you in the sense that this is a compounding event that'll add another layer of challenge or barrier to a lot of students right now. I remember reading something about uh, the proposition of grade 13 as a way to support students. Uh, many students may not be able to uh, reach the skill level that was expected of them this year simply because the school year has been interrupted. We don't hold students back generally in Ontario. I don't believe it is done anymore at all. But the solutions one person has proposed is creating an additional year to support students. And the argument being that grade 13 was always a, 
a very useful year for students in general. But this, this all, I guess it, it kind of emphasizes a greater need for it. What are your thoughts on having grade 13 a, as, a, as a supplement to, to education right now? And B, in general, the, the significance of grade 13, should it have been uh, eliminated? Um, so I'll start with the first question. Uh, is grade 13 a good option to support students who have missed out many days of this school year? Well, I need to give you a sense of background before I answer that. I spent almost 25 years as a human resource manager working for American multinationals, both in Jamaica and in Canada. I not only had the issue of dealing with graduates from university who could not adapt properly in Jamaica and in Canada, that I actually went back to the colleges and universities and spoke to them about some of the human skills that were particularly necessary among engineers, because they were the least adaptable in the sense of they don't get a lot of what you'd probably call soft management data. They tend to get more mechanical, fact-driven, figure-based education. So I have dealt both at, in Jamaica with the University of Technology and in Toronto with Sheridan College and with other institutions. I actually was on the board of a wonderful college, Humber, um, in which my role was just to make Humber students understand and the college understand how are we going to make these young people better prepared for industry. So I did it in Canada and I did it in Jamaica. Grade 13. One of the things that happens a lot at the university system and college system here is that once a student graduates from grade 12, what a lot of colleges and universities have found is that they really do need to give them a first year which is essentially to acclimatize them to the requirements of the college or the university that they're going to. So that recognition is based on the gap that many colleges and universities see between where you live at grade 12 and where you end up in a first year student situation. So I know as a fact that there's not only value in a grade 13, if it is a particularly structured 13 that is for the year intent on focusing you on the tools necessary to go into college or the tools necessary to go into a trade. And just for one second, I want to say something about trades. That is one area in North America that I have found more and more a lacking of adapting young people to go into all the trades, electrical, plumbing, mechanical, you name it. And the real problem is that our school system needs to gear up and have teachers 
who are able to help in transitioning young children. Now, many of them, by the time they get there, they're going to be young adults because they're 18. They're going to be able to vote for the Prime Minister of Canada. Well, they should be able to vote for the Premier of Ontario. Well, they should be able to also vote for where they're going in their life. So I am a strong supporter of a transitional period in high school that is focused on where do you want to go? Do you, are you going to go into trades? Are you going to go into industry? Are you going to become a manager? Are you going to become a doctor, a lawyer, or an Indian chief? Where are you going? And I think grade 13, therefore, would have a really utility in providing that gap year. And let us be frank, um, you know, all of us, I don't know about you, but I can say for myself, by the time I got into university, who I didn't even know exactly. I mean, I thought what I wanted to do something. Second year, I told you I changed because I didn't want to become a teacher. I wanted to become something else. And I ended up in human resource management um, years after because that's where my comfort zone was. I, I really preferred working with human beings and helping them to become as successful as they could be in business, which is what I did for years. So I, I think there's a definite role, but it can't just be grade 13 for the sake of another year. It's got to be grade 13 with a focus and with a, an objective. You're going to be, you're transitioning now, you're heading on somewhere, and we have to have the tools to allow them and engage people from industry and from other areas to help them to become, you know, whatever they want to be. Right. So the grade 13 serves a purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think you are suggesting that the purpose is to support the transition to post-secondary education, which is an interesting concept because um, I, I think there's a push in the education system, public education system, elementary, specifically high school, though, um, towards post-secondary education. Is that a valid push? Is that something that we should be aspiring for all students to attend post-secondary education? The reason I ask that is because uh, there are obviously mounting, um, not necessarily issues, but uh, concerns with going to post-secondary education, financial issues, the issues of job opportunity afterwards, uh, things like that. So the motivation to have students attend post-secondary education and thus have a grade 13 year um, bridging that gap, is that something that's valid? Well, let me be absolutely frank. I own a house. I own more than one. I'm involved in being a landlord. And I can tell you, if I need a plumber, an electrician, or anybody to come to my any of my house anywhere that I own, whether here or in Jamaica, I will tell you as a fact that I need a certified, knowledgeable person who knows about electrical wiring, if it's electrical, plumbing, if it's plumbing, and so on and so forth. The shortage now is tremendous. But let me just say one other thing. Because I'm in HR, the entry level 
salary is that most clerical or you know low level non management staff started i cannot get a plumber to come to my house for under two hundred dollars just to come he doesn't have to do he doesn't have to bring any parts or anything actually just recently i had a issue with my dishwasher so i called you know i looked it up i actually I found a person online and you know two young men came to fix my dishwasher and it was a simple thing it was just clogged up and he had to pull it out and you know do his stuff that alone cost me two hundred dollars that was two hundred dollars right there not one part was used because he simply pulled it out and you know did his thing and brought a vacuum cleaner you know vacuum outer section and rather da, da 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 that was 200 bucks that is kind of like the average cost for doing no parts in today's world so do i believe that you should go to university and become a lawyer or a doctor no <laughs> there is such a shortage of skilled tradesmen who earn a very good living. Most tradesmen, on average, per annum, are starting somewhere around 80,000. Many of them are making 100,000 or over. If they you know, are active and can jump around. So the point I'm making is, yes, we need a grade 13. Should it be focused on sending people to college and university? No. It could be used as an important gap year to help people to either figure out do they want to, you know, go the quote-unquote more academic route, um, and under the typical sort of grammar British grammar system schools that we have here, or do you want to go and do something different? I think you've got to give them the option there because I think the way they used to put it back in the day, I don't know if it still said no. This person is very good with their hands. They're not so much for you know writing floral letters and literature and, and writing books. So, yes, I think we have to do it. I think it is now mm. critical um, because of a second thing that is going to happen. And I'm speaking now in the right. community of Collingwood. That's another point. Yeah. No, I think that um, you may get a very interesting point. Uh, I guess I'm curious, and I'm sure there are studies out there about why uh, is it a fetishization of university or post-secondary education? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, the reasoning for everyone wanting to go to post-secondary education, mm -hmm. I, I that one question would, would be like, why is that the case? And I'm sure that's been well studied mm -hmm. and everything. But I know that for students or children with one parent who has a post-secondary or university education, uh, the chances of them going to post-secondary post-secondary or university is, is high. Now, when you have both parents who attend post-secondary or university um, have that level of education, the, the chances or likelihood of them going to post-secondary university as well is even more, even further increased. So when we talked about the idea of still validating um, the trades or other opportunities after high school, how does that conversation occur when your family members 
all have post-secondary education, knowing that it's not necessarily the best route or the only route that's available to you. How does that conversation as a parent, how would that even happen? Well, I think to do that successfully, you have to focus on the child. I call everybody <laughs> younger than me, junior. You got to focus on the, the person. Every child is different, an individual. You know somewhere around grade 9 or grade 10, kind of where this particular child. I, I, I've carried kids through the school system here. I know it works. But I had to purposefully interject myself into every year, September, speaking with the teacher who was going to be the class teacher for my child and let them understand that I do not disappoint whether this is going to be your next MD, doctor, or your next lawyer, but I do know for sure that this child is going to get good grades because you're going to be a good teacher. And my telephone number, I used to tell people, I have a, a little kit, a, a, a small um, utility kit. The first thing you do is you introduce yourself to the teacher and you make them know that this is my phone number. And you give it to the teacher and say, because I want to know if anything happens with my child. I want to know about it the same evening. Call me. I'm always open to hearing from you. And I will take whatever action it is required to make sure that this child who is going to study hard in your class is in fact getting the attention. And if they do slip, and who hasn't, that they're going to be spoken to um, in preparation for this. I never took teachers as an adversary. I took them as a partner in raising my child and educating my kids. So that is how I think we need to look at it. The problem really, however, comes up when for whatever reason, and there are many reasons in the black community in particular, that parent could be a single mom, doesn't have the time, the energy, nor the wherewithal to be able to take off time and go to that school to have that personal interaction with the teacher. It is necessary. And I will conclude with one reality that I know. Any student whose parent does not show up at those parent-teacher meetings, at those open days that happen in almost every school, high school, beware. The teachers know that this particular student father always comes has given you their telephone number and is watching you the teacher and the child to ensure that they're getting a good education that element is missing in our community for many reasons there are many reasons for it but i know that all teachers will tell you if they have parents or a parent that shows up and is very detailed in their conversation about their child, you usually only have 15 minutes to 20 minutes at those meetings. <laughs> That's it.
So you come in, you got your 15 minutes, you just laid out, and especially as my daughters got older, I made them be present when we were having that teacher parent conversation, especially as they got older. Definitely at 14, 15, they were always there with the teacher and me. It was not a private thing between me and the teacher. I wanted my daughters to know that this teacher has heard from your father, and this is my expectation. So I think that's a necessary yeah. thing. So yeah, definitely. And parental involvement is significant, and particularly when it comes to, I think, the issue of streaming. Streaming historically has been a very biased way of um, dividing uh, certain groups into certain, not a, I wouldn't even call it academic streams. These are life courses that have very much impacted the shapes of communities today. So schools historically have uh, neglected uh, black students in many ways, including putting them or giving them opportunities for the academic stream and post-secondary education. And I, I, the reason why this conversation to me is very difficult is because on one hand, I definitely want more lawyers, doctors, academics, professionals uh, who are black. I want to see that. Um, and I don't know if that is the idea of that is disrupted by having a conversation about schools not emphasizing the significance or the nobility or the success that you can attain with uh, a skilled trade. And I am not suggesting that um, Black students need to go to one or the other. My, my conversation, I think, is, is more so why haven't we put more of an emphasis uh, generally on skilled trades? Why have schools failed to kind of sell this as a, as a successful endeavor, a way for you to be happy, to be successful, thrive as an adult post-secondary education? Well, when I first came to Canada, I came here as an adult and I love to drive. And an observation I've had for the last 25 years, 30 years almost now, but 25 years for sure. I always used to find it interesting as I'm passing any work site, you know, men at work. I always used to look and see how many people that look like people of color in there. I, I've been doing it yeah. from the first time I bought my car till today. Every time I drive past men at work, anywhere on the street, I always look and see who is there. And I can tell you, because I'm an expert, I am qualified, that nine times out of 10, you saw no one of color. No one of color. This is a lifelong observation. I was like a driving, you know, that Google car that drives around and I was like a Google car. I just went from place everywhere I went. And it became abundantly clear to me that whether it was a TTC project, it was a Go Transit project, it was a, 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 a um, uh, what is the name? The blue, the blue one up in Brampton. What, I don't care who it was doing work on the road. 
there was almost never a black man. And I'm going to talk about black men. There was rarely ever. And, you know, as I became more Canadian, you must remember, you know, I'm in HR. While I'm driving and observing all this thing, I'm going to a factory in, on Amco Boulevard that 70% of the workers on the factory are people of color. I had two factories running, one here and one in Windsor. ITT owned one at Amco Boulevard and owned one in Windsor. So I used to have to fly down to Windsor because I was a health and safety manager as well. So this, oh, in Windsor, in the tool and dye department, and I can be very specific, in Toronto, Amco Boulevard, in the tool and dye department, they were usually 99.9% .9 all white. In ITT, Millerod, on Amco Boulevard, there was one Indian fellow who was a quality assurance guy, but he was not making the tool. But in the section that made parts, it was almost exclusively white. Now, why is that so? Well, it's so for many reasons. I'm not going to go into all the reasons, but what we don't lack now today in 2020 are studies. And I want to just bring to your attention the Ontario Safe School Act, School Discipline and Discrimination, the executive summary that was done there. It's a wonderful piece, and I direct whoever wants to find out about the reality of Ontario schooling to take a look at this report. It was published, and it's a wonderful report. You can also go online and get it. This is about discrimination in schools. The second one I'd like to bring to the attention, because this is a very significant one, is the study that was done, again, the annual report on the Office of the Correctional Investigator, 2014 to 2015. Now, this was done by the federal government, and it's a wonderful report. The, the, the um, conclusions in the executive summary are earth-shaking. But what it recognized is that between 2005 and 2015, which is the review period, the black and indigenous population in prison went up 69%. That's in prisons. Mm. Right, and that was around the time when the, the schools were... Oh, yes, zero tolerance and all that wonderful stuff, which were That's completely... 80% right. of male offenders struggle with addiction, substance abuse, two-thirds of the federal offenders were under the influence of intoxication when they came in, and so on and so forth. It's a wonderful report. And there's another one. You know, one of the things people always say, oh, you don't have information. Oh, no, there's lots of information. It's called Research and Consolidated Report on Racial Profiling in Ontario. Oh, that's another lovely one. In which it categorically documents the fact that racial profiling gone. And I can't leave out my good friend, Alvin Curlin, who was one speaker of the house, because you can look up the review of the roots of youth violence executive summary. It's much shorter than the report. This was done 
by Alvin Curlin and that wonderful man who the prison is named after in Brampton. Yeah, I so bringing the conversation back to this idea about uh, great thirteen yep. and trades, I really curious about the stigmatization of uh, trades. Why don't we see enough? And why is there such a large gap that needs to be filled with with trades? Is if you were to have a child in the school system right now, would you be pushing them to? go towards trades or a more academic route and i'm not asking in the sense of uh um what is ideally your um preference but perhaps what about uh what about you kind of i i don't know <laughs> i don't know i i guess as a father as a yeah. parent of black children what do you okay, do in so that circumstance and I, I think it's a very difficult question that many black people okay. might have to. So there, is, there, there is a famous that... line from the Wall Street movie, which go and watch. It says, "Show me the money." You see, a good show me the money. A good life requires a number of ingredients. Your education helps. Your family helps. Your, your, your technical are not, listen to me, I did not like mathematics. In school, I went up to fifth form and I passed it at all level, but I never went on because I did not like my teacher. I didn't like the guy. The guy didn't like me. No, it's not that I don't start by not liking people. He didn't like me. And this is in Jamaica. He was a weird fella, and for some reason, he just didn't cut down to me. I tell people that you've got to listen to what your children are telling you, and you've got to see what, you know, in HR, we have what are called requirement qualifications for a job. But then there are also aptitude requirements, which are not really black and white. They're a big gray. People need to go where, one, they are led through, but secondly, where they know they'll be able to make a living. You can figure out by grade 10 that I'm not looking at another William Shakespeare. I'm not. This person doesn't like literature. They don't read. Kids who tend to read, you know, like they've already finished 10 books by the time they're in grade 11. You, you can tell that they're, you know, they're so inclined. There are many young black youth who have never been mentored into anything. And I am going to say something now, which is a little unfortunate. But I tell young black men who I have, some of them I've mentored for over 20 years. And I say to them, as unfortunate as it is, when you arrive in the Ontario, and I speak only of Ontario because I'm not an expert on every province in Canada, into a school, in secondary school, and you're a young black male, you are guilty. And they may sometimes ask, I say, guilty of what? Guilty of anything that goes wrong there, you're guilty. 
they are guilty before they arrive, they are guilty on arrival, and unfortunately, that is how systemic racism actually works. They have to be twice as good, they have to try twice, and as far as troublemaking or incidents go, one of the most horrifying things I noticed at Peel, in the Peel region, because I can only speak of what I know, is that wonderful blue and white cruiser that used to come and park in front of the school, right by the entrance, so that every single child coming in can see that there's a blue and white right there. Now, I didn't grow up in a school like that. Okay? I didn't go to a school like that. Police were not at my school. So, if you start with that, oh, one other thing. On the last day of my youngest child, you know, 21, her, oh, at graduation, I found out that she graduated an Ontario scholar. That I didn't know. So that was a, a big surprise for me. I nearly cried. That's number one. But I used to go to that school regularly. Because I would all, I tell you, every September I'm there meeting to the, 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 the staff room knew me because I show up. But there was, on the last year of my youngest, I went to her school, it was Catholic, and I sat and sat down by the staff room. And there I saw a cop, a big six foot two, you know, 250 pound police officer, just having a, you know, a grand time as part of the staff room. Now I sat down, you know, and I watched, and I watched, and I saw how comfortable that police officer was with the staff, and it's because he comes here every day. Now, he's there for two reasons. One, if an incident starts in classroom, no longer are you just going to go to the vice principal who's usually in charge of discipline or whatever, but they might even have the waiting cruiser for you at the door. Now, to me, being a parent, that is horrendous. But I can tell you that that process took time, and the number one reason why it happened is because not enough parents of color had the time or took the interest in saying, what is happening to my child? And if you take the time and go and ask the question, you'll find out. I don't say that the teachers are racist. I'll never say that. Because I will not prejudge anybody. But if you are, you're going to know that you're dealing with a parent who is watching your every move. And I'm not getting bellicose nor, you know, I'm not getting into no big argument with you. But I made that teacher know that I have no difficulty in going to the vice principal or the voter. It's usually a her too. Oh, that's the other thing. Last day, last year of my daughter's, just before graduation. So I find out all that good stuff at graduation. A young friend of hers was involved in an African dance 
thing near my where I live. I was taking her back home, so I dropped home my youngest, and I was taking her friend home. And she said something to me that stuck with me years ago because it brought a slight tear to my eye. She said to me, you know, Mr. Lopez, I'm now leaving high school. And I just want you to know. I don't know why she even said it. That in my entire school life in Ontario, in Mississauga, Peel region, I have never seen a male black teacher ever. Wow. She went in and I just sat down and thought about yeah. that. That's part of the problem. If you're not if you don't have role models in school during the education process, holding positions of authority, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm to visualize yourself as ever becoming a person of authority. Okay, I have no example of it. That's how it works. Definitely. <clears throat> Definitely. Well, Peter, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. Now, before we wrap up, I have to ask you, what is a song that reminds you of your childhood experiences? And can you provide us with a reason as to why you chose that song? Why was well, it so memorable? I wear on my neck a chain, a chain as a pendant, and it has written on it One Love, which is Bob Marley's song. That, that song has been what I think is the theme of my life, One Love. We're not haters, we're lovers. That's number one. Father of 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of School Talk. Where you can, subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And while you're at it, let me know what you thought. If you have any questions, or even if you have an idea in mind for the show, let me know. I'm Alex Baddock, and I can't wait to continue our conversations on education in Ontario. Thank you.